Can you ever trust a kidnapper with your children again? If a young man at 20 is filled with jealousy and hate, can he become a man at 40 who will give his life for his brother? Let's listen with our study leader, Dave Wurtzer, to God's answer as we conclude the story of Judah. Can people change? What do you think? Can you change? You really believe that? Some of you have kids that grew up here in Melothia Bible Church, and they went through all the Bible memories and stuff, and then they split from home. They got into those early 20s, and they've now wandered away. And you're wrestling with a heartache of kids that are wandering away. Where in the world is God when our kids are wandering? One of the things we want you to do in our church family, we want you to get caught up in God's story. We want to give you the tools you need to really be able to understand God's story. And one thing we're trying to do is to help you to realize that maybe some of those stories that you were told when you were a kid in Sunday school, you were taught those stories in isolation. And it's real important for you to go back and read those stories in the flow of the story. And today we're going to wrestle with the question, can a leopard change their spots? Jeremiah used that about 600 years before Jesus came, and he used it early in his book, and his answer to that question is no, a leopard is not able to change their spots. Moses, about a thousand years before that, or a little bit less than that, when he was writing the book of Genesis, Moses told the story of Judah versus Joseph. Now, almost all of you think when you read the last part of the book of Genesis that's the story all about Joseph, and that's what you need to understand because the real driving character, the one that the story is really about is not Joseph, it's the story of Judah. And when we left Judah last time we were teaching together, we couldn't have had a worse situation. We've got Judah who kidnapped his brother, threw him in a pit, tore his clothes off, sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, dipped his brother's garment in some goat's blood, threw it before his father, and let his father conclude that his son had been torn to smithereens. He watched his father mourning and grieving. The worst kind of grief there is, you don't even have a funeral because there's no body and you don't really know what happened to your son. That's the worst kind of grief imaginable. We see this son go and leave home. He goes and marries the Canaanite woman, so he's the quintessence of a wandering kid. He marries an unbeliever, a Canaanite of all things, and produces a son. The son is so bad that the Lord kills the son. Then he kills the second son because he won't raise up a seed to his brother. And then when his wife dies, in order to console himself like a really good God-fearing man, he goes down during sheep shearing time, he sees a prostitute, and he goes to bed with her. Now, that's really bad. How many of you had wandering kids that have married unbelievers, they have two dead sons because their sons are so wicked, and they're sleeping with prostitutes? You see, that's really, really bad. And the question's raised, can the leopard change their spots? You see, Judah's really angry. What made him wander away is he thought God was against him. That's what some of you think today. I want you to really open your hearts deep in our souls, and this is what causes some of your kids to wander away, because they feel that God has messed them up. I have a lot of kids, they say, man, I tried to live pure, I tried to live for God, and then I entered in this relationship, and then the relationship went south, and the person betrayed me, so God didn't come through for me, so I'm really angry at him, forget about him. And that anger against God just wells up and causes me to wander away. Judah was really angry with God. 
You see, God gave his 17-year-old brother, he was 23 years older, and God gave a dream to his brother that he, as the older brother, would have to bow down before his brother. And that made Judah furious. God was against him. God would have said, and he let that anger, he let that jealousy well up inside of him. This is a real story. You have jealousy like that going on in your life. We have anger like that in our life. We get jealous of one another. Right in your family, the kids compete back and forth. You see the Lord blessing someone else, even as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We see the Lord beginning to really use somebody. We get jealous and we think, what's God doing with me? What about my thing? Because almost all of you are into 50-50. See, almost all of you live your life based upon I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Everything is 50-50, which is great in business, but it's, it's terrible in relationships. And Judah believes that he hasn't gotten his 50. He feels that the Lord of the universe, the God of heaven, is really taking him out. And he's chosen his younger brother, and he's made it really mad, which explains why he wanders away from God and spends so many years out there in Canaanite territory. You need to open yourself up to that story. And the question that raises, what am I going to do with that anger? What am I going to do with that jealousy? What am I going to do with all this immorality? Can it ever be forgiven? Can it be changed? As we turn to Genesis chapter 42 this morning, that's where we're at. In fact, when we left our story, we had the beginning of a change. And you need to look for this in your adult kids. When Tamar caught Judah with his pants down, instead of proceeding with the execution, Judah said, Tamar, you're right. One of the things you want to look for in your relationship, it's one of the things I'm looking for in your life today. When you're really ready to break, when you're really ready to break, suddenly you'll tell the truth. You'll tell the truth to your pastor. You'll tell your truth to a counselor. You'll tell the truth to your parents. You'll tell the truth to people that are close to you. Some of you right now are just full of con. You're immoral. You're like Judah. You're angry. You're jealous. And I want you as parents to know when your kids are acting like that, You can't believe a word that they say. They'll manipulate you, and I'm going to talk to you a lot more about this. I want you to learn about how you work with really bad people. Judah is a bad person. He should have been in Huntsville. He kidnapped his brother. That's a capital offense. He lied about it. He's continuing to lie about it. He hasn't gone to his father, Jacob, and says, oh, I'm so sorry, Jacob. Your son really isn't dead. I don't know what happened to him. We sold him into slavery in Egypt. He hasn't come clean at all yet. Everything is undercover. Every family has its secrets. And one of the things I want you to learn is God's grace is trying to help you not to have secrets in your life. That you don't cover things up. And the beginning of the turn in Judah's life is suddenly he said Tamar was right. And that's the beginning of the turn. And Tamar produced twins, Perez and Zerah. And Judah's taking care of them. He doesn't have any more sex with his daughter-in-law, but he has raised up a seed, and the line of his son Ur, really, which is his line, is going to continue, which is really important. That's a really important part of the story. Now, the way that God's story is really written, I want to really encourage you. Did you realize that the Bible's a bestseller again? That it's really packing houses? Everybody's watching the Bible. It's the biggest thing ever told. And some of you have seen the the Bible. What's really important as you watch the Bible is it's really important for you to have your Bible there. The real story of the Bible is actually much better than what they show you on TV. And one of the things that strikes me nuts is why, whenever we do the story of the Bible, why we think we need to improve it because we ruin it. In fact, to be really honest with you, they'll miss half the story in the Bible. They're going to miss a ton of things that I'm going to tell you about this morning, and I want to catch you up in that. By the way, that doesn't mean you don't watch it. It's a great thing to use with your kids to teach in the Bible. 
Because you can tell them, no, let's actually go and read it. Let's see what it says. And I guarantee you that on the History Channel Bible, you're not going to have hardly anything of what I teach you this morning, which is the heart of the story. And that's what I want to whet your appetite for. That's what our church family is about. It's helping you to find your story in his story. As we open up to Genesis 42, years have gone by. Joseph is now ruling over Egypt. The seven years of prosperity are over. Egypt has jammed their silos filled with grain. And now the seven years of famine have begun. We're two years in. The famine's weighing heavily. Drought, no crops. And as we open up to Genesis chapter 42, it says, When Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, look at Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. Why do you just keep looking at each other? And this is what a father needs to do. This is one of the roles of a father. He needs to take leadership. Jacob has been mourning. One of the roles that Jacob plays is that he mourns over his lost son. He mourns for over 20 years for his lost son, and he doesn't pay any attention to the sons that he has except for Benjamin. That's what some of you are going to do. I want to really warn you, if you lose a child... It's really agony to lose a child. But one of the real dangers, and these stories are very real. Jacob plays the role of someone that's always had his face down. He's mourning. Life, it's like the guy in in the cartoon that says, I'm just going to go and eat some worms. Jacob, the prince of Israel, spends years and years and years divorced from his family because he's depressed. And you need to really watch that. One of the real ironies of this story is he has sons that are alive and he doesn't enjoy them because all he does is mourn over the sons that are dead. And this story is meant to open your heart to that. Don't do that. Don't mourn over forever and ever. You need to put your mourning behind you. Have a period of grief. Then you need to let the Lord heal it and you need to pour yourself up into the children that you have. It's a very powerful lesson. Jacob is beginning to wake up a little bit. He says, hey, we need to do something. We need to stop looking around. And he says this. The ten sons of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. You all know why. Because he was Joseph's brothers. And he's scared to death that harm's going to come to Benjamin. So some of you dads are overprotective of the one that you favor. You moms especially do this. That's all part of the story. Jacob is pouring himself into Benjamin. And he's overly protective of his beloved son, the one son he had from Rachel, and his wife died when she gave birth to Benjamin. So good night. He's got all kinds of grief going on, and he's pouring himself in. He hasn't learned anything about favoritism. He's still favoring baby Benjamin, just like he favored Joseph. Now, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was severe in the land of Canaan. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land and the one who sold grain to all the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. What did God's dream say would happen? So what are the brothers doing? See, don't try to fight with God. He always wins. And Judah doesn't even know that he's fulfilling the dream. And that's one of the ideas in the story. You're going to have to decide who's going to write the story, whether you're going to be antagonistic with the writer of the story or whether you're going to open your hearts to him. And one of the things that Genesis is telling you is life's really confusing. There's all kinds of things that happen. You'll never totally figure it out. But in the end, you're going to find out that God was writing the story. And it's always wise to submit to the one that writes the story. So Jude and his brothers are flat before their brothers. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized him. 
And he said, oh, brothers, I'm so glad to see you. This is a reconciliation time. This is incredible. I can't believe that you've come back into my life. Is that what he does? Now, that's what a lot of you do. Your kidnappers, your liars, your immoral, deceitful kids come home, and you welcome them back. Some of you just continue to pay all their bills. You continue to support them because, oh, this is marvelous. We're all back together as a family. Hey, if you've got a wicked kid, don't just open your house to him. It's not safe. I'm serious about this. These stories are really real. And I've heard preachers, this is why you need to read this story carefully. Joseph is really mean. Because look what he does to his brother. Look what he does. So I've heard a lot of preachers say that God had to work in Joseph's heart because he has an unforgiving heart. No, he doesn't. Joseph doesn't have an unforgiving heart. But he's the ruler of Egypt. So notice what he said. As soon as Joseph saw his brother, he pretended to be a stranger, even though he recognized him. He spoke harshly to them. Some of you need to learn to speak harshly to your kids that are bad. Because you're the authority over them. If people are working underneath you and you have really bad people that do really bad things, as a born-again believer, it doesn't mean that you're gucci and warm and nice with people that are really bad. Sometimes you need to speak harshly. We don't understand that in our movement too well. Joseph is a governing official. He's ruling Egypt at the time. Notice what he says. Where do you come from? They say, we come from the land of Canaan. Was that the truth? Yes. Yeah. So Joseph is testing them. They're starting to tell them the truth. They say, we've come to buy food. Was that the truth? Yes. Although Joseph ran his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered the dreams about them. And he said this, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. We are not spies. Now, are they honest men? Tell me. We don't know yet. Were they honest men the last time we saw them in the story? And are they honest men with their father? No. So you're right. They're not honest men. Are they spies? No. So they're not spies. And you say, well, why in the world does Joseph go through all this stuff? Why in the world does he accuse them of being spies? And as we go through this story again and again and again, Joseph accuses them of being spies. Also, he takes all of them and throws them in the brig for three days. Now, isn't that really mean? What did they do to Joseph? They threw him in the pit. One of the things you need to teach your kids, what comes around, comes around. If you do really bad things to others, there's a really good chance. And that's one of the major things in this story. You see, God is beginning to work on these sons to realize, hey, you've been covering this thing up. You threw your brother in a pit. We're going to find out later on in this story. They listened to him cry for mercy, and they wouldn't pay any attention to him. They actually ate a meal. These are really bad guys. Some of you just welcome your kids back home, and they're liars. They're deceivers. Some of them are alcoholics, some of them are drug addicts, and you just welcome them back in, like everything's going to be honky-dory again, and then they mess you again, and they ruin your family again. They hurt your younger kids or your older kids. They destroy your family. These stories are meant Joseph is acting in the role of the good character in the story. That's why you need to perceive it. One of the things I want you to learn to do when you're reading a story, it's not what I think is good or what you think is good. It's who is good in the story. And the way Genesis is telling the story, Joseph plays the role of a good character. He's not a bad guy. That's really important to understand that. So you need to open your heart and follow. You decided you read this story. What example will you follow? So you say, well, Dave, why in the world is Joseph doing this? Because he's going to find out. He's got to find out whether the brothers have really changed. And I want to tell you something. You don't find out whether someone's changed just by their words. Just ask anybody that worked with prisoners. 
We have a lot in our church family. Bill Curry, Dan, David. We have a lot of people working with prisoners. I want you to know if you go in and work among prisoners, they're all innocent. And they all know the Bible better than you do. There's a whole bunch of them that love Jesus a whole lot. And one of the things you'll get really disillusioned out really fast, in fact, a whole lot of policemen, a whole lot of prison guards, a whole lot of people that work in the justice system get totally turned off about this Jesus stuff because to them it's just words. Because as believers, we listen just to words. But words need to be connected with action. You say, Dave, why does he do all this? You see, he takes Simeon in the story and he keeps him in Egypt. He makes the brothers go back without Simeon. He puts all their money back into the sack. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to teach them grace. These guys think that life and and worship before the Lord is all 50-50. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's all 50-50. And what the Lord does in this story is he gives them back their money. They can't pay for all the grain that they got. So their money's all put back in their sack. Simeon's thrown in prison, and the brothers have to go back home, and they have to tell their father they lost another one of his sons. And Reuben comes up with his cock and bull story. He says, well, Dad, I tell you what, I'll let you kill my two sons. We got to go back down to Egypt. We need to take Benjamin with us. Now, what kind of an older brother, what kind of a leadership is that? How many of you as grandparents would say, man, the way to really meet the need of losing my sons will kill two of my grandsons. That'll make it even. How many of you like that plan? It's an intriguing story. Reuben always puts his foot in his mouth. He slept with his father's concubine, and he lost his, his role as the firstborn son. That's another story that you need to follow. But in this story, Reuben comes out as the firstborn that's lost his place of leadership because he doesn't come up with the right plan. And because he's immoral and he never really quite turns away from it, he loses his firstborn role in the family. So they're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. The story is filled with tension because these are God's promised people. If the sons of Jacob and all their wives and their kids die, then the story of their coming Redeemer is over. There's no Easter. You need to really understand that. Satan, the great serpent slayer, is working to produce a terrible famine throughout the Middle East, and he wants to wipe out the children of God. And this is a real conflict. And the the brothers were evil, and Satan worked through them and caused them to kidnap their brother and sell him into slavery. But the great Lord of the universe, the great ultimate storyteller of history, is working everything together, and he begins to work in the strangest place because suddenly we have a brother that steps forth as the leader. Judah becomes the leader of his family, and he was always the natural leader, and that's why he went in such opposition with Joseph. But now he starts to lead in the right direction. You say, Dave, how do I know that? Well, let's turn to chapter 42, verse 19 and 20, because here we start to see the demonstration of a change. Before I go to that, I want you to look at chapter 42, verse 19. This is what Joseph said, and it underlines the point that I'm making about what Joseph is doing. It says, do this and you will live, for I fear God. And what they need to do is they need to go back home and bring their brother down. Notice what Joseph says. If you're honest men... Let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take gains back for your starving household. But you must bring your younger brother so that your words may be verified so that you may not die. And they proceeded to do that. I want you to see that. I want to emphasize that it's driving home the point I'm just making. Make your kids, if they're wandering and they're acting sinfully, 
Don't buy their words. Make them verify their words. And the way you verify words is by action. Very, very important. And that's what's going on in this story. Joseph, as the leader of Egypt, has to find out, are these really criminal kind of men? Are they really deceivers? Are they still bringing harm to their family? Do they still not care for their dad? Will they still hurt their little brother? Those are all very real questions. And the way you find out the answer to those questions as a parent, as a leader in your business, as a leader in education, you find out not by listening just to words that people say with their mouth, but what they actually do with their actions. And that's how this story begins to unfold because Judah begins to act. It says in chapter 43, verse 3, it says, But Judah said to him, the man warned us. Jacob is saying, we got to go back again. Judah says, no, we can't. The man solemnly told us. He said, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother, if you will send your brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why in the world did you tell us? And then he goes through this whole story. Judah says, hey. He asked this question, and the story is skillfully made because if you put two and two together, the, the brothers should have begun to realize, why does he ask us all these penetrating questions? Why does he care that our father is alive? How does he even know that there might be another brother? The Holy Spirit is beginning to use Joseph to awaken in the brother. That's what's happening here. But I want you to see the key. This is the key to Judah's life. Notice what he says. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me. Look at chapter 43, verse 8, because this is the heart. It starts to reveal Judah's heart and where he's really at. It says, send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die, which is going to be the fulfillment of the redemptive promise. I myself will guarantee his safety. Leaders take responsibility. Judah is now saying, I'm responsible. I'll guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. As long as your kids are saying it's all your fault, some of you as mom and dad, you did something to your kids when they were five years of age, and they're still blaming you for what they did, and you still give them money to support their crazy lifestyle because they make you feel guilty about what you did to them when they were five. Stop doing that. If your kids are 25, 30, some of you need to just say, get over it. I did the best I can. We did the best we could. We've asked forgiveness for what we did wrong. You need to get on with it. And you need to take responsibility. You need to look for it in your kids. It's really, really important. The story here, Judah is showing that now as a man about 40 years of age, something's really happening in his life. He's now taking responsibility for himself, for his father, for his family. In essence, the whole redemptive promise of God is being placed in his hands, and he doesn't even know it. And the way that I know that is he comes up with a good plan. He says, he says if the boy is not with me, look at verse 30. So now, if the boy is not with me, chapter 44, verse 30, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the heart of the boy's life. So what is Judah caring about now? Everybody tell me, what's Judah caring about? His father's what? His feelings. What didn't he care when he threw the bloody garment before his dad? He let his father grieve. You see, there's a change. And you, the way this story is told, 
Here is a man that let his father grieve, but now he's really concerned. And he's very concerned that his father not have to go through that grieving process again. He said, if you take this one too and harm come to him, you will bring my gray head down. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, whose life is closely bound up with the heart of this boy, sees the boy's in theory, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety in my father. If I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame. Now then, please let your servant remain here. And this is the guts of the story. You see, what happened is Judah, early in the story, says to Jacob, his father, I'll take his place. And the way this story works is Jacob says, okay, I believe you. He lets Judah take his young son, Benjamin, who's now a young man. He lets him go down to Egypt. When they get down to Egypt, you remember the story. It's an incredible story. It says, Joseph, when they come down to Egypt, welcomes all the brothers, said, you need to come to my house. We're going to eat at my house. You're going to be able to enjoy this incredible dinner. And the brothers are scared to death. In fact, they say in the text, he's going to steal all of our stuff. He's going to make us his servants. He's even going to steal our donkeys. These brothers have a thing about their donkeys. And then they say to Joseph Stewart, because they say, hey, our money was in our sack, and we brought double the money. We have no idea how the money got in, but we want to make sure we pay our bills. And you know what this servant, this Egyptian servant of Joseph says? No, I received the money. Was that the truth? Had he received the money? Yeah. But what did he do with the money? He gave the money back to the brothers. And the servant says, the Lord's been gracious to you. The Lord's been gracious to you. The Lord's been bountiful to you. One of the big decisions that you decide in your life is will you believe that the Lord is gracious? See, we all think it's 50-50. And one of the major points of this story way back in the Old Testament is, no, the Lord of the universe, he just gives you freely. You always want to pay him. You always want to pay the bill. Some of you have that deep inside of you. I got to pay the bill. And in the Joseph Judah story, Joseph will not let, and Joseph as a representative of God won't let his brothers pay. He keeps giving their money back. Remember how the story goes? The servant says, no, the Lord's been gracious to you. Joseph sits them down at the table, and they should have started putting two to two together because Benjamin gets five times more food than anybody at the table. He gets five times more rain. He gets, he gets all kind of gifts bestowed upon him. And if the brothers start looking around the table, they're sitting at the table from the oldest. Reuben is at one place at the table. It goes Levi, Simeon, Judah. They're all in their proper place. And they're scratching their head. They go, oh, no, oh, no, no. And they're also expressing their guilt. God's finding us out. They start talking like that. They're really guilty. The Lord's bringing this all down on our head. Joseph has an incredible meal with his brother, doesn't reveal himself. He sits separate, acts the role of an Egyptian. It's an incredible story. Then the brothers take all the goods. Joseph fills their sacks more than they could ever imagine, and they leave the city. And then Joseph tells his servant to go out to them because the servant was told by Joseph to put his divining cup in the sack of Benjamin. So they get not even out of the city, and Joseph's servant comes up and says, how could you dare do this? How in the world could you steal? And it goes back to the beginning of the story. How in the world could these guys steal very easily? They stole their brother into slavery. They can easily steal. So the question's convicting. 
And Judah hits the finish and says, no, 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 none of us have ever. He said, he said no, we'll all be your slaves. If you find, and it's just like Jacob earlier when Jacob made the same thing when he fled Laban. It's the same kind of a story. So you need to put those stories together. Jacob, wife Rachel, stole Laban's idol. And she was menstruating, so she sat on a camel saddle and she hid the idol. It's the same story, only this time it's all an accident. Rachel really did steal her father's idol, but they never found the idol. This time, Joseph, the story's a little bit reversed, because this time Joseph doesn't believe in divining cups, but he plays the role of an Egyptian that does, and he puts the divining cup in the sack, and the brothers say, oh, no, man, what's happened? Because when they dump out all the sack, there it is in Benjamin's sack. So all the brothers get their donkeys loaded, they go back to Joseph, and they're meeting with Joseph. And Judah takes the lead in the passage that I just read to you. And Judah tells, and this is something really important when you read the scripture. In Hebrew, when I tell you the story all over again, that's the point of the story. Like when Judah is talking with his father Jacob about taking his brother Benjamin and how he'll be surety for him, he'll give his life for his brother. In the confrontation with Joseph, he goes right back through all the story. And then Americans, we go, oh, man, they're repeating themselves. Don't do that. You learn by repetition. And an author in the Old Testament shows you this is really important when I tell you the story all over again. The repetition is what emphasizes the story. And the heart of the story is right here. It says, in verse 33 of chapter 44, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. In essence, Judas says, I'll take the place of Benjamin. And that's when Joseph breaks he cries, he revealed himself to his brother. A tremendous story of reconciliation takes place. Jacob comes down to Egypt with his 70 members of his family, and that's how the Israelites ended up in Egypt for 400 years before the time of Moses, which we're going to talk about the next time we get together and talk about Moses as a father. And the heart of the story, the final close, is when Jacob puts his hand on Judah's head. I want you to look in closing as we look at the, this ultimate father. One of the things that an ancient father would do, and in chapter 49, I want all you fathers to know the power of giving blessings to your kid. In the ancient Near East, a father would put his hands on his sons when he was an old man, and he would, and in this case, because Jacob was a man of God and a prophet, those words are really, really important. So he puts his hand on Reuben's head and it reminds Reuben of how he slept with his concubine. So there's honesty. And he talks about how Reuben is unstable as water and Reuben never does become a leader in Israel. He goes, Levi and Simeon, he talks about them and blesses them. But he talks about them being violent and how because they killed all the sons of Shechem early in the story that they're going to be scattered out. Simeon is scattered out, not in blessing. Levi gets some things straightened out later. He becomes the Levitical priesthood. That's scattered out among the people for good, not for evil. So you got tremendous redemption, the story of Levi. Then it comes to Judah. And these are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Look at chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers, will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. 
All of Judah's life, what was he afraid of? That he'd have to bow down to his brother, did he? But was the great I am against Judah? See, one of the great themes in the Bible is, who ultimately will we all bow down to? One of the things that your kids compete about, one of the things that you compete in, who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be the leader? And one of the things that grace opens you up to is you got to let the Lord. you got to let the Lord be the boss. you got to let the Lord be the one that decides. And Judah, all of his life, for a lot of his life, was angry at God. And what he didn't realize is that all along, he was the one that not only his brothers would bow down to, but he would become the tribe that produced the king of Israel, King David. And eventually, when you study the book of Matthew, it says, where's the son of God to be born? Where's the Messiah to be born? And even the magi, even the priests that are in Jerusalem under Herod say, Bethlehem of Judea, of the tribe of Judah. And that's what it's speaking about here in this incredible prophet. It says, Judah's going to be the lion. The lion he crouches, lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah. How did Tamar identify Judah? With a what? His scepter. His rod. You talk about change, the power of change. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belonged, and the obedience of the nations is his. And he will tether his donkey to the vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robe in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darkened with the wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. What it's saying there is that a son of Judah is going to produce what all of your kids really want. Your kids are all excited about bringing in a new world. You see, I've got a whole lot of young people that are really, really excited about who's going to rule. And and the United States has been ruling, but man, we haven't done a very good job. What's going to happen when China rules? And what I want you to know is we all have this question about who's going to rule. I want you to know that the story of the Bible says there's only one person who ultimately has the right to rule, and there's only one person who can ultimately bring about prosperity, and that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And every one of you need to decide whether you'll bow before Jesus today. And your kids are going to decide whether you're going to bow before Jesus today. And one of the reasons why I want you to bow before Jesus is none of you can change a leopard spot. You're not going to get your kids straightened out because of technique. You're not going to get them straightened out because they turn over a new leaf and they start exercising some self-discipline. They need a miracle of grace, and so do you. When Jeremiah raised the question, can the leopard change his spots? Can the sinner change his ways? The answer was no. And Jeremiah's people went into slavery. They were exiled for 70 years. But in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah wrote another chapter and says, I'm going to write a new covenant. And this time I'm going to give new hearts. And I'm going to write my law on a heart. And it's going to be an internal thing. And what we're praying for in our own lives, what we're praying for in our kids' lives is for that moment of grace to come when they receive the miracle and they allow that new heart. Like if they received the new heart when they were kids, the Lord's going to be faithful to them. The Lord's going to work in their heart. And you'll see, just like in the life of Judah, there will be a change. And it might take 20 years. They might get to be older. But you're looking for that. And you hold steady. 
You don't believe their lies. You don't get deceived by the false guilt they try to put on you. You hold steady. But you do with hope, believing Judah changed. My kids can change. This is the incredible story of grace that I want you to understand. This is much better than anything you're going to see in the History Channel. Who would ever believe that a kidnapper, a liar, a man that deceived his father by blooding an old robe and throwing it before his father, who would ever believe that a kid that slept with unbelieving, he married unbelieving women, his sons were so wicked they died, the guy slept with prostitutes, this is really, really bad. And he's the line of Jesus the king. That's what I mean by grace. Some of you would be close here this morning to say, I can't ever do what God wants me to do. And I say, why not? Could you say, because I was a kidnapper in the past. I lied in the past. I was immoral in the past. I have a marriage that didn't work, and I, and I destroyed my marriage. And now I'm in another marriage, and therefore I'm second rate. I was told as a kid all my life, if you're divorced, that's it. You're always going to be second rate. What I want you to understand is you're not understanding the amazing grace. Judah sinned worse than anybody in this room. And he became the leader of his family. He became the leader of the tribe that generated the Son of God. That's amazing grace. Pharisees will never understand that. Pharisees will never believe in that change. And what I want you to do as we close this service, I want you to ask yourself, have you opened yourself up to the change? Have you opened yourself up to the fact that you can change? That you can't cleanse, you can't change your leopard spots, but you've got a king who created the leopard. He can do whatever he wants to with the spots. I'm so concerned about this because as parents, you've got to allow this change. I don't want you to be like Jacob that grieved for years and never let things go. I don't want you to be like Judah for so many years who was angry, thinking God was against him, when the Lord was pouring out amazing grace to him, he wasn't going to put money in the sacks, but he's going to put far more than money in the sacks. He was going to put the Lion of the Messiah right in his family. That's amazing grace. And by the way, that's a much better story than I could ever make up. Amen? Because today, I want you to know that's the story of the universe. That's the story of forever. That we're headed towards a time when the Lord's going to do away with all the kidnapping and all the violence and all the death and all the immorality. But there's going to be prostitutes in heaven. There's going to be kidnappers in heaven. There's going to be sons that destroyed their father for many years. But if they'll only come to that moment of change, they can become part of God's incredible promise. And it's all because of his amazing grace. So where are you today? Where are you today? Do you believe? Have you allowed this incredible gift of life to change you? To give you a new heart? Will you trust the Lord that he can work in your kid's heart? And will we as a church family come alongside one another, often in the body of Christ, when kids are straying? We make one another feel so guilty, and none of us even want to talk about our kids that are straying. And I've even been in church families where the pastor's kids are just a total disaster, but nobody knows it because we create environments where everything has to be like the Pharisees. Everything has to look good on the outside. What I'm trying to do is to create a church family that really listens to these stories carefully. This is God's word, and it's truthful. It's honest. It tells the way life really is. And the greatest thing of all is we can change. But we can't change ourselves. We have to let God change us from above.